Philippians chapter 1, 27 through 30 is where we're going to be talking about or studying from this morning. Uh, really kind of a follow-up to last week. We talked about Philippians chapter 1 down. Philippians chapter, now it's okay. Philippians chapter 1, uh, 27 through 30. Last week we talked about Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26. Originally, we had, uh, in our Wednesday evening study, the journeys of Paul, and I wanted to sort of plug in where some of these letters went time, front, uh, time frame wise. And so we would also talk about some of these lessons uh, along that time, uh, those, uh, that same chronological time frame. And so Philippians, of course, written from Rome, uh, as Paul is in prison there or under house arrest at that particular time. So last week, when we talked about Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul was telling them about how things had turned out, what his circumstances were, and how they had turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And now he sort of transitions as you get to verse 27, and he starts talking about them and what he, his hopes are for them. I want to say, just before we get started, though, this morning, um, I came here yesterday afternoon and kind of put this contraption together so that we could set the TV on it. David said this morning, well, if you took that out of your house, what, you got your TV setting on at home now, you know? <laughs> now, who knows that David was a skilled maintenance guy, plus he's a comedian, you know that? I mean, like <laughs> so, uh, this is temporary. We are going to mount this. Uh, and hardwire this. This Bluetooth arrangement this morning through all that that I had to go through to get this PowerPoint up there, we won't be doing that every week. So once again, we'll get back to it being hardwired so we can just turn it on and immediately go to the PowerPoint. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul is talking to the saints there at Philippi. And he's talking about their commitment to the Lord and their commitment to Christ. And Paul wants them to know as he writes this letter, because oftentimes we talk about rejoicing in joy. And Paul wants them to know that joy, rejoicing, unity can be found in Jesus Christ. And he talks about these things in this particular letter. There's three points that we'll take a look at from verses 27 through 30 this morning, because he's going to say that he wants them to stand firm. And then he wants them to strive together. And then he wants them to not be alarmed by their opponents or by the opposition that they are going to face. I want you to take a look before we look closely at verses 27 through 30. I want you to notice how this is emphasized in the latter part of the lesson. He comes, he comes back to this. So he's going to say, I want you to stand firm. I want you to stick to what you've committed to. And I want you to do this collectively. I want you to strive together. And don't be alarmed by your opponents, by the opposition. Take a look at chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Striving together. And we talk about these women oftentimes, but I think he's really emphasizing once again the need for unity. I urge you, Doria and Synthike, to live in harmony in the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will, re I will say rejoice. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You can almost see in verse, uh, in verse 6 and in verse 7 how he would be talking about he knows they're going to face this opposition. So let your requests be made known to them. Verse 7, and the peace of God which passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So I think it's almost kind of like bookends from chapter 1 to chapter 4, and Paul's saying, stand firm, strive together, and don't be alarmed by the opposition that you're going to face. Approximately 100 years prior to this, approximately 100 years prior to this, Philippi had become a Roman colony. And as we take a look at the language that he's going to use here, you can almost see how he's drawing upon that fact. Barclay in his commentary says that those of, of Philippi, they were stubbornly Roman, so to speak. They took a great amount of pride in the fact that they were a Roman colonist, colony, that they had become Roman citizens. He goes on to say that Roman colonies were like little bits of Rome that were planted throughout the known world. I want you to think about that for just a moment. And as Paul is kind of drawing this contrast here with them being Roman citizens and them being citizens in the heavenly kingdom, and Barclay saying that these colonies were little bits of Rome planted throughout the known world, isn't that the same idea whenever we think about churches as they are planted throughout the known world? Barclay says they were little bits of Rome. Isn't that what churches are? Little bits of the heavenly kingdom planted throughout the known world? And then he goes on to say, he said those who were part of, or were Roman colonies, they would speak the Latin language. They would wear Latin-style dress. They would call their magistrates by Latin names because they were proud of being a Roman colony. Think about that for just a moment. They would speak the Latin language. Don't we as children of God, don't we speak a little bit different language sometimes than the rest of the world? Do you on the evening news ever hear the news commentator talk about sin? <laughs> There's a lot of problems in the world, but they never say it's because of sin. <laughs> but we talk about sin, don't we? And so there's a language that we speak. And he said they wore a certain kind of dress. Are children of God interested in their dress and their apparel also? And he said they called their, their magistrates by Latin names. Well, don't we call our leaders by different names also? How often do you hear the rest of the world 
talk about their elders. How often do you hear the rest of the world talk about their bishops, but they don't use it necessarily in a biblical sense? How often do you hear the religious world talk about pastors, but they don't really use it in a scriptural sense? We speak a different language, too. So as Paul talks about their citizenship, and we'll get to that in just a moment, and Barclay mentions about how they were proud of being a Roman colony, we should think about that also. A little bit of the heavenly kingdom planted throughout the world, and we talk a certain way, we dress a certain way, and we call our leaders by certain names. And so Paul is sort of essentially, and, and I found this, this photo here, this image online, and I thought that kind of makes a good illustration for what Paul is trying to accomplish here. Because at the top of this photo, you see it says, how far would you go for Rome? And I sort of scratched that out and put, how far would you go for Christ? And I think that's the point that Paul's trying to get across as he writes to these brethren. So the very first thing that he's going to do is he's going to tell them to stand firm. But as he talks about them standing firm, verse 27, one of the very first things he's going to say is, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. The word, that, the word that Paul uses there for conduct is sort of unique in, in, in Paul's writings. Because oftentimes whenever he would write letters to various churches like we talked about in class this morning to Thessalonica, he will talk about the way they walk. And he will talk about their daily manner of living and so forth. Well, in this particular instance, he uses the word conduct because the word conduct was often used in connection with like citizenship so in other words paul is saying conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel just like you think about conducting yourself as a roman citizen how would you conduct yourself and so there's a certain amount of pride and so forth that paul wants them to feel not superficial kind of pride but a kind of pride that calls upon a commitment that a person makes. Some have suggested it would be sort of a passionate kind of thing, kind of like patriotism. The kind of thing that maybe comes to mind and the feelings that are stirred when you're, say, at a ball game and you hear the national anthem. Or if you want to come down by my house this afternoon <laughs> at the end of Flint Ridge, you can see the downtown airport. And you know who's there this weekend? <laughs> it's the Blue Angels. And, and there's a sort of pride to that, isn't there? And it goes along with patriotism and, and being an American. And sometimes when we hear the national anthem or when we look at the flag and so forth, we think about the battles that have been fought and those who sacrificed and gave their lives so that we can enjoy the freedom that we enjoy. 
And so Paul's saying, conduct yourselves. Think about your citizenship. And this is the kind of commitment you would think about as you commit to Jesus Christ. You know, I want us to think about, think about that for, for just a moment. Because he's going to say, stand firm, and then he's going to say, strive together. You know, there's a lot of controversy, I think you've noticed, <laughs> that's going on in, in our country now, right? But there was a time when people left their country, came to this country, and they were committed to being Americans. Isn't that right? And they would commit to the Constitution. And these are the laws that guide this land. And they would march collectively under the flag. Rome <laughs> had a commitment to the emperor. And you marched under that Roman banner. It was a commitment. And so Paul is calling these kinds of thoughts to their minds, and he's thinking about their commitment to Jesus Christ. Who have you committed to? You march under the banner of the cross. And the Constitution that you follow, that's the new covenant. <laughs> that's what you're committed to. And so Paul is saying, stand firm. I don't listen to quote unquote Christian radio a lot, but sometimes. <laughs> and uh, there's a song that I do like the words, and, I, and I've copied it down. One of the phrases, Ray Bolts, if you ever want to look him up and listen to it. In one, in one uh, verse of the song, it says, Now the years have come and gone, but the cause of, Christ, uh, the cause of Jesus still goes on. Now our time has come to count the cost and to reject this world and embrace the cross. And one by one, let us live our lives for the one who died to give us life. Till the trumpet sounds on the final day, let, it, <clears throat> let us proudly stand and boldly say, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. <laughs> Aren't those good words? I mean, I think they're good words. One by one. And that's what Paul's saying. You make this commitment. And just like you're proud of being a Roman citizen, that's what he's saying about, that's why he uses that word, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So Paul says that they are to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and then he says stand firm. The Greek word there now means to be immovable. This is where you've taken your stand, and you're not going to be moved by this. Notice Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 and 30 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul's saying, 
it's a privilege. And isn't that oftentimes the way we look upon like military service? Not only to believe in the country that you live in, it's like, but you're willing to take a stand and sacrifice for it? And so that's what Paul's saying about the cause of Christ. Not only do you believe in him, it's a privilege that if you get to sacrifice for it. And so he says, stand firm, and that word means be immovable. No, this is what I believe in. This is what I stand for. And if it leads to persecution, then so be it. You know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want, I want to mention just a few things to go along with this. And Paul says in verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me. So he's saying, you remember when Paul was at Philippi and we studied that on Wednesdays? Remember how he was beaten? Remember how he was thrown into jail, into prison? And so Paul says, you saw, you saw that in me. So sometimes circumstances can become pretty difficult. It's becoming a little more difficult in this country, isn't it? <laughs> and a good part of the society would like to just silence us and not allow us to speak out at all. And it may increase. But Paul is saying if you're committed, then stand firm. You're not going to be moved from that. You're going to still speak up no matter what the circumstances are and voice your belief. So sometimes circumstances can cause a person to be moved. And you know, we can kind of see that kind of thing. And we can think about, well, was there ever a time when I didn't speak up or maybe I should have? And, and so we think, well, I was moved a little bit then. Maybe next time I'll do better at that. But I think sometimes we can be moved and maybe we don't even realize we're being moved. <laughs> I want you to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And verses 3 and 4. Now, Peter's addressing these specifically to women in this particular context. But I think this applies to both men and women. He says, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dress. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. And you know, sometimes... We give entire lessons based upon uh, address and adornment and so forth. And it's important to think about those things. But sometimes, you know, with the fads that come and go within society, we can kind of drift along with it and go with it before we even realize kind of what's happening. <laughs> Is this in agreement with what God would have me to do? And we have to, we have to stop and think about that. So sometimes circumstances, sometimes fashion, 
Sometimes persecution can move us. And so we have to be aware of that. And so Paul encourages them, stand firm. Don't be moved. But secondly, he says, strive together. Latter part of verse 27. Whether I am absent, whether I come and see or remain absent, I, I want to hear uh, that of you, of stand, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm, striving together. The word that now Paul uses is those that are involved in like athletic games. That striving, that kind of effort. That, that is put, put forth into it. The kind of practice, the kind of work, the concentration, the focus, all of that. And I think most of us can understand that because we've either been involved in or we've watched sports on TV and so forth. What we need to think about is this. Paul says, stand firm and then strive together. Early mornings, about 6 o'clock normally, one of the coaches, former teacher at South, and I get together at 6 o'clock, and we, and we walk together for about an hour. He's a soccer coach. And he's been telling me recently that summer practices are a little tough. He said, first of all, because we meet really early. And not all the kids want to show up. <laughs> and sometimes they come dragging in a little bit late. Sometimes they don't show up at all. Colby, ever run into that basketball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the point that he was making, he goes, you know, I tell him we're, we're trying to build a team here. <laughs> we're trying to build a unit. And so Paul says strive together. But I think sometimes what we fail to understand, sometimes what teams fail to understand is, if a unit is going to function, the individuals within that unit, they've got to function. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying strive together. But if you're going to strive together, if you're going to be successful as a local congregation there at Philippi, then the individual members that make up that longer congregation have got to be self-disciplined. They have got to put their self into it. And that's something that we need to understand also. You know, the church universally as a whole, uh, the work is evangelism, and edification, and benevolence. But on a local level, it, it, it's the same idea. If we're going to evangelize, can we do that individually? Yeah, but, but can we do that collectively? Absolutely. And so now, the, you know, we've come to this space because we wanted more room. And so why did we want more room? So we could spread out? Or because we have a desire to spread the gospel so that others might become a part of the kingdom? So we think about collectively, how are we going to do that? 
Well, we've done some flyers before and so forth, so I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of a little plug here. <laughs> the next Wednesday night class is going to be Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. And we've talked about this before, and I, I hope we agree on this. I think we ought to start advertising these classes. And we ought to be trying to invite people to come to these classes. And so collectively, it takes funds to do that. It takes effort to do that. But we've got to decide as a unit, are, are we going to do that? And then if we are, we, ha we have to execute that. We have to execute. <laughs> That's what the coach talks about. He goes, I try to get individuals to be self-disciplined so that as a unit we could execute. You know, I, I played softball <laughs> with a kid in high school. And he played second base a lot. But I can remember playing third base and scooping up a ground ball and look over and he's standing right next to me. <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't you, shouldn't you be? <laughs> so it's a unit. And everybody's got to do their part. And so as we think about that, I mean, that's one of the things. We think about coming together on, and we talked about this class this morning. It was a good discussion. On, on Wednesday evenings. It's not checklist. Well, I went to Bible study. It's like, no. There's, there's something we're trying to accomplish, and we're trying to edify, and we're trying to encourage, and we're trying to grow. Contribution actually is a collective effort. So it provides a place for us to come together and worship. It may provide the means to advertise and, and to evangelize and so forth. That's, that's a collective effort. And so there's things that we do collectively. The book of Ephesians, Paul would have written at the same time from Rome. And he's talking more about the church universally in the book of Ephesians. But notice what he says. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Paul talks about what each individual supplies so that the body can grow and be all that God intends for it to be. Sometimes the reason why a unit doesn't function the way it should is because individual members don't function the way that they should. There may be various reasons for that, but one of the reasons why sometimes it fails to happen is that sometimes there can be indifference. And we talked a little bit about that in class this morning, too. Once again, Chase, thanks for a good discussion there. Sometimes we can be indifferent about sin. And sin can get in the way of, of personal growth and development. And so we can't afford to be indifferent about it. Sometimes we can be indifferent about one another. And so we have to 
be careful along those lines also. There's all those one another passages in the New Testament that talks about how we ought to love one another, how we ought to edify one another, how we ought to support one another, how we ought to admonish one another. And we need all those things. And we can't be indifferent about the lost either. As one writer said, Satan doesn't need to attack you from the outside if he's winning the war on the inside. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? So we've got to be determined that we are going to stand firm and that we are going to strive together. There are some here that's been in the military, and they'll tell you, one of the very first things that the military will teach you is self-discipline. Because an army wants to function as a unit. But in order for that unit to function as it should, the individuals have got to function as they should. And so they'll teach you self-discipline. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, I buffet my body daily and bring it into subjection, lest after having preached to others that I myself might be a reprobate. Jesus knew what it was like to practice self-discipline. It took self-discipline for him to go to the cross. In Hebrews 5 and verses 7 through 8, it says that with loud crying and tears, don't do that. Don't leave over. <laughs> that with loud crying and tears, he learned obedience. He did. <laughs> Through the things which he suffered. It took self-discipline. And so what Paul is saying is stand firm, strive together. But in order to do that, individuals have to do that so the unit can be all that God intends for it to be. And then thirdly, he says, don't be alarmed by your opponents. Philippians chapter 1, verse, let me get back there. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. No American standard says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sakes. You know, the day a person becomes a Christian isn't the day that Satan is going gonna, is gonna to give up on that person. And a lot of times the way in which he will try to attack you is by what other people will say about you. I want you to go back to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll read verses 12 through 14. First Peter chapter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may re rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, 
you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Paul told Timothy, yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know one of the things that Satan will try to do? He'll try to destroy your self-image. Paul's talking about pride in being a Roman citizen and pride in being a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. And isn't it interesting that Peter is the one who writes about that? And isn't it interesting when we remember Peter and how on one occasion he failed miserably <laughs> and then he went out and he wept? But isn't it interesting also that after Jesus was resurrected and the women had come to the grave and Jesus was going to Galilee, he says, go tell Peter and the others. I'll see him in Galilee. You ever thought about why he specifically said Peter? Do you think there's a chance that Peter ever thought, I've blown it. And how thrilled he was when he found out the Lord said, tell Peter. What do you think Peter did? going to Galilee. <laughs> and see, sometimes that's the way it is for us. We may stumble, we may fall, but the Lord wants us to know. He'll give us a second chance if we're willing to confess our sins and get back in the fight. That's one of the things that we need to come to understand. There's a battle going on. The kingdom is at war. And Satan wants your soul. And he wants the souls of your kids and of your family and of your friends and of your neighbors. And he doesn't give up. And he'll try to destroy you. And he'll try to destroy your self-image. And some of the lessons that we're going to be talking about this coming year. You are holy. You are righteous. You are redeemed. That's not me saying that. That's what God's word says. And we need to have that firmly planted within our minds because Satan will come for your mind. Sometimes each day can be a struggle. Sometimes each temptation can be a fight. But with each battle, we ought to get just a little wiser. And with each victory, we ought to get just a little bit stronger. And so Philippians 1 and verse 29, Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. Peter will say, you're a child of God. You've been redeemed by his precious blood. You are living stones in a great spiritual house. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. A peculiar people. You're God's elect. 
So he'll emphasize those things because we need to have those things firmly planted within our minds. So when the battle is going on, we have to remember who we are. And you know, we, as Paul writes to them, and, and he emphasizes, sort of draws a contrast between their Roman citizenship and their citizenship in the heavenly kingdom. We ought to also think about and along those lines. Because the reason why we're Americans, I'm not trying to be political, I'm just drawing an illustration, is because of the battles that were fought and the sacrifices that were made. And now we share a common cause. And we march under a common, common ba uh, banner. And so that's what Paul is saying to the church there. Don't think it unusual <laughs> that you have to fight these battles. That's part of being in the kingdom. And Jesus said, a servant is no greater than his master. So Paul says, don't be alarmed by your opponents. He's saying, stand firm, strive together, and don't be alarmed by what you're going to face. So, you know, as we kind of bring this to a close, Paul wanted the church of Philippi to know their citizenship in the kingdom was important, and he wanted them to stand firm, strive together, and not be alarmed by their opponents. But sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, we may not always realize when Satan is trying to move us, and we have to be aware. Each day, when you don't feel like reading, you need to read. And each time we don't feel like coming, unless there's some physical reason, <laughs> we need to come. And each time you don't feel like praying, you need to pray. And each time you don't feel like encouraging someone else, you need to encourage them. And each time you don't feel like carrying on, you need to carry on. The battle still rages. Revelation 2, verse 7. Jesus says, to he that overcomes, I will give to you the tree of life. You're in the kingdom. The battle is raging. And it keeps going on. And so Paul says, stand firm, strive together, and don't be alarmed by your opponents. Philippians 1, verse 27 through 30. I'll extend the invitation this morning, the Lord's invitation, to any and all that are here. If you need to make your relationship right with the Lord this very day, we want to encourage you to do that. We want to insist, assist you in any way we can. And the invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.